I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Nisa. And I'm Omar. Welcome to our podcast, Help I'm Sad. In today's episode, we will discuss the frustrations and anxieties that often come with being the only black person in the room. How we navigate being the solo black person in the friend group or whatever social setting, and how our identities shape our interactions with others. If you're of the melancholy variety, you're a nervous wreck or anything in between, settle in and make yourself at home. So it's been a month since we last seen each other. Um, I just want to give a check-in. How's it going? I love the check-ins. This month and last month has been good, to say the least. I can't complain too much. Still have a job. Still have a car. Still have a place to live. The basic necessities of maintaining a level of peace. Okay. Uh, Aside from that, um, you know, other than daily social uh, frustrations and and annoyances I've, I've been pretty good how about you I don't know like I think I'm trying to keep a slight like a small like a a baby depression at bay just because next week it's my birthday <laughs> and I since I was like 18 years old I have not had great birthdays Meaning, like, nothing bad has happened, really, but, like, I've just been depressed on my birthday year after year. And so I don't know if it's, like, a thing where it keeps happening because it's, like, a ritual or, like, I get used to it. But it's, like, I don't know. I mean, like, I do know why I'm depressed around my birthday. Um, But I'm trying to get out of that place. Mm. Um, I've never been a birthday person. Like, I'm not really a holiday person in general. But I've never been, like, oh, it's my birthday and I want to do... A bunch of stuff to like celebrate right. like i'm a leo but i don't like the attention that i get around my birthday and so i know i'm supposed to be Do like you normally get attention throughout the year <laughs> that no. would make you not want to get attention on your birthday no i just i'm someone who i remember like okay so i told my therapist this because we were trying to unpack like why i get depressed around my birthday yeah and i was like well i remember having a distinct memory when i was around like seven or so and we had a birthday party 
at my house and my mom invited like my friends over and she brought out the cake and then people started singing happy birthday and I remember looking around the room like it was like time slowed down like in a movie and I remember thinking this is the worst thing that has ever happened to me I remember thinking like I hate everyone staring at me this is awkward I hate that people are singing to me and so like I just don't like the attention really Mm. and then also I have this thing where every year I feel like I'm not where I'm supposed to be in life and and I'm gonna turn 25 next week so that's like a major to me an age milestone yeah and I wouldn't say I'm not where I want to be it's just there's pressure from like outside influences like whether that's social media or just like even like everyday people or what even your own expectations of what your life should be yeah and each year i seem to fall under that knowing the type of background we are we were unaware of the type of people we are just like just oblivious to it kind of puts in perspective how worse it could have been at 25 so when i hit 25 it was like okay I, you know, we're in a, I'm in a, I'm in a good place at least, you know yeah. what I'm saying? At 24, it was probably my best. Like I wish at 24, I wish I was at a place. At, I wish my birthday had 24. When I turned 24, I had it at 25 only because 24, I met Indy Irie. Oh, okay. And I, we spoke and, and she said she loves me. And just that moment still now I'm 26, two years later, I'm still grasping onto the concept that she knows who I am because her music was uh, is, is my life story you know what I'm saying so it's crazy yeah I think like with like my birthday depression I think a lot of people actually have like birthday depression or like they get sad during their birthday I do know for me there's like multiple factors which I'm not gonna get in today because <laughs> that's like for the family section right or the family episode But I think there is a lot of pressure to, like, have it together, especially by, like, those age milestones, like 25, 30. You know, everyone progresses at a different time in their life. Like, some people, they peak when they're, like, 18, and other people peak when they're 45. And there's nothing wrong with either. There's nothing wrong with either of them, but I would prefer to peak not at 18. (laughs) Yeah, later on in life. How do you feel being a quarter of a century? Almost, like, you're a quarter of a century, basically feels a lot longer (laughs) but also not at the same time like it also feels like I'm still really young yeah so I don't know like to me it's it's a weird feeling to feel like you've lived like a long time but also you haven't yeah So I wanted to discuss a post I saw on social media recently and honestly it blew my mind and because it was so true and so like actually felt attacked by the tweet Uh or the post whatever but this is what it said it said everything you think is wrong about you is tied to an event where a younger part of you is stuck and hurting that part of you is deserving of your return and rescue that reunion will change your current pain. So I just wanted to know what your thoughts of this were and if you could relate to any sentiments in the quote. Yeah, I, when you read the first part, um, it resonated. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like there there is a piece, a part of me as in my young childhood years 
aka childhood trauma where you just get stuck revel in that place um and i don't think it's any fault of my own or any child's own because it's like you are just born into a system and experiencing big life things that people are not necessarily giving you the rule books to Mm -hmm. so i get that um the second part was a little (laughs) grip like a little hard for me to grip onto because i wouldn't want to go back to that place because i feel like i lit like part of me lives there already so what am i well do you think well do you think it's important to go back to heal like some people feel like they have to go back to a certain place to like talk it out and then heal but like the quote was saying like that part of you is deserving of your return and I don't know if they mean like that part of you like you should come back to who you are outside of what happened to you in your childhood I don't know if I rem- I don't remember like how do you remember going back to like if I was to revisit- it's like getting your childhood back like your childhood innocence back I guess that's impossible yeah <laughs> like I know too much yeah. <laughs> I, like I, I literally know too much it's not uh, there's not a day that I can't there's not like a time where I can just like put back all the experiences and thoughts and and words that people and that people have said and 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 provoked into me or whatever um mm. like I just there's no way there's absolutely no way and then like I feel like when you're younger children are ignorant but like it's bl- it's blissful ignorance, so mm-hmm. we allow that innocence to, to just let them go to by, grow, yeah. right? But I feel like if you experience trauma earlier, and you or you experience something that, um, experience part of the world that you just should, that you wouldn't necessarily be emotionally capable of handling, it's just it's impossible to kind of undo that. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. your your mind goes to places to fix whatever it is that the problem uh problem arose yeah i do think it's like you can't 100 percent get your childhood innocence back but i think like it could take it's a a realization that it takes work yeah and like obviously you're never going to get to that place where you were when you were younger because the reality is the world changes you so i wanted to discuss simone biles decision to leave the olympics and then return later like she took like a hiatus i think um, I just wanted to talk about it because when I first heard this, I was like, so many people were outraged by it and we know who those people were, but <laughs> I was not at all outraged and I was so happy for her. To me, this is like so great to hear because it's kind of like Naomi Osaka and how she wanted to uh, take a break from press conferences. Exactly. It's like you're in, you're taking control of your mental health and you're setting boundaries, which is so important. And I feel like a lot of people feel like they can take advantage of people in the public eye because they are in the public eye. Mm-hmm. And I love that, especially the younger generation are like, no, that's not going to happen. Like I'm setting boundaries exactly. and you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. So um, in case you guys don't know, we're going to play a clip of Simone Biles in an interview talking about her decision. I just felt like I wanted to do this for me. Um, I really wasn't medically cleared to do the other events that I had qualified into. So tonight I just wanted to get up there, have fun, do my beam routine, and then just see what happens. So medically cleared is an interesting term, and we've heard medical, and you brought up the mental part of this as well. 
who was medically clearing you and when did you find out that you were going to be medically cleared to compete? So the FIG doctor as well as our team doctor um, and then I did talk to a sports psychologist um, that Team USA has here. Mm. So once we were kind of in the mindset, they would ask me every day how I'm doing, how I'm feeling and all of that stuff. Um, and then like when the all around came, I was like, absolutely not. Like I don't feel comfortable or safe going out there doing four events. And then we got to vault and I was like, again, no, bars, bars and beam were the two that I was like, okay, I feel like I can do it. And then practicing bars, I still got lost in the air before I came down, um, kind of crashed. And so we're like, it's not the best idea to do that. Floor was next not happening because that's where I twist the most on all of my passes and then beam uh, I do usually twist in my beam dismount but I downgraded it and so I asked Cecile if we could try a downgraded dismount that I probably haven't done since I was 12 or 13. And we heard about the twisties and we, we've heard about that I think we've all learned a lot about when did this first start coming on for you? Was it when you arrived here in Tokyo? No, I actually didn't have a problem with that at all. I competed, um, well, we did podium training, mm -hmm. was perfect. We did prelims, which was really good, uh, qualified into everything. Mm -hmm. And then after prelims, we went into practice the next morning. And then that's when it started happening, just completely random. Um, I went to do a floor pass and I just got lost in the air. And I was like, okay, it was a fluke, didn't do anymore. The next day, we had a little practice before team final and I was like okay well I have to do that again because that was really weird it seemed off and then I just could not get a sense of where I was in the air. So what were your first reactions when you heard about Simone Biles decision? I was commending her like for her to actually realize um, that her mental health was that important at a game that was so important for a lot of people and That's for her. You and her. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And for her. Because yeah. it's a sport that she loves to do. Um, it was commendable. Because I I feel like if <laughs> if Beyonce took a mental health break on her tour, <laughs> it, it would be an uprise. Yeah. But then to find out why she took a break, I think it made, made for what she did to be just as valid if I never knew why she took a break versus if she if I did know. If I yeah. did, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. How about you? I think, like I said before, it's really, like you said, commendable to make that decision, especially at her age. Like, I think she's mm -hmm. like a year or two younger than me. And that's, first of all, Hello. she's already in the Olympics, like more than once. And she's doing amazing. And I think that's something that really bothered me was the response to it. Like, I think many people were supportive, but I think there were a lot of people who weren't supportive because they view her just as a body like just as someone there to represent the u.s yeah and not as a real person and it takes a lot of discipline a lot of commitment to make it to the olympics yeah and there has to be a lot of pressure there i know there's a lot of pressure there and so for people to just expect her to like keep going even though she's not in a good headspace says a lot about where we have to go with our mental health conversations because if anyone deserves a mental health break, I mean, everyone does, but she really does. Like, yeah. she's put in a lot of work. She's young for her age, doing amazing things. She's an amazing athlete, and that's an understatement. And honestly, like, I was talking to someone else about this, and I was like, she's handling this very well. Because if this was me in an interview and someone wanted to push back on what I, a decision I personally made, the next headline would be like, 
Simone Biles lost it. Because yeah. honestly, I would be like, I said what I said. <laughs> right. And I would, right? And I would be like, hey, guess what? I'm an adult. I made a decision and I actually don't have to respond to your question and have a great day. Like that's where it would have landed yeah. for me. And so I think she handled it really well because I would have been like, do you want me to show up? Because in order to do that, I have to be mentally okay. But they don't know that. <laughs> like the people that are criticizing that are like really, really upset. First of all, I don't know how people who are criticizing who are upset can get upset because I know something. I don't know. I don't know. Let me not even put that fact out. I don't know. But something in my soul tells me they can't do a cartwheel successfully. Right, exactly. So <laughs> exactly. let's not go right. there in terms of flexibility. Yeah, I just think about that and I think about people just not having enough business exactly. of their own to really pay attention to. Amen. Because I can't even fathom me. I can't do a cartwheel. I've been trying to like, that's mm-hmm. my goal in 2022 to do a successful cartwheel. Um, and I just can't imagine me being upset about <laughs> her right. not competing in the Olympics. And she can do way more than a lot of us will ever be able to dream about so right and it's like there's so much like it's not just her mental health it's her physical body is also taking a toll and like she said like when they were talking about the twisties you're asking me to put myself in danger my body in danger for you so you feel can feel good about our standing i guess politically and you know whatever like to show patriotism or whatever like that's what blows my mind is that these people are acting like her black body is there for entertainment or whatever and not considering her mental health. And it's not really shocking. It really isn't because this has always been a thing, whether that's the Olympics or any other form of entertainment. But it's like her mental health should not be put at stake just for a gold medal. And like I think not, that's what it is. I think yeah. people are like, you don't want the medal bad enough. First of all, she has one of, like, she has. If she didn't, she wouldn't have made it this far. She clearly wants to win. Okay. And, and she has. That's <laughs> what blows my mind. Like you were saying, like, you have nerve. You haven't won nothing in your life, but you still want to comment on what she, on her decisions regarding her health. It really is commendable because at her, like, at, if I was her age, knowing what I know, knowing what she knew, mm-hmm. I don't think, I would have kept going i would have performed probably into i broke something because yeah. I, I wouldn't have known my limit and for her to know her limit is real. it's just i don't understand why that i think that people are upset they don't know the limits and i think that's what it is yeah. <laughs> it has to be because for because i when you create boundaries for me when i create a boundary it's not because i'm i'm not it's not when i create a boundary now, nowadays when i create a boundary it's not because I want to keep people away. It's just for me to know where I'm allowed to go. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Because I have been at a right. place where I wanted to venture out and I wanted to explore my limits. But when I found my limits, can't nobody tell me I, how to will it back. Yeah. You know, I, that should be my own self discovery, self understanding, self, you know, realization. Yeah. So, yeah, I commend someone for everything she's done. Yeah. And, and, starting the conversation and and publicizing it on a national scale you know what i'm saying yeah and it does take a lot of courage i i just can't imagine how scary it would be to be flying in the air and feeling disoriented and then realizing hey people are expecting me to perform and then i have to say i'm not going to even when you know it's good for you 
like she knew she was going to get backlash for this and she still did it and I think that like you said is commendable it's courageous and she's an amazing athlete she's been through a lot personally and professionally and I think people are also aren't taking that into account and if she didn't perform well then there'd be people saying something else too if she decided yeah. to stick to it and not do well people like, would still would have you, something to why say would it continue, uh performing if why didn't you win the gold medal blah blah blah. yeah you know and so there's always going to be something to say whether or not she chose what she did yeah so so i want to start this episode off with a quote from author and feminist roxanne gay and here's the quote i work hard i volunteer for things I try to deliver when I say I will do something. I try to do my job well. I extend myself, then overextend myself. I work at work, and I work at home. I study my teaching evaluations, trying to make sense of my imperfections, so that next time I might get it right. I sit with my colleagues and think, please like me, please like me, please like me. Please respect me. At the very least, don't hate me. People often misunderstand me, misunderstand my motivations. The pressure is constant and suffocating. I say I'm a workaholic, and maybe I am, but maybe I'm just trying, like my student, to show how I'm different. In graduate school early on, I once overheard a classmate talking in her office as I walked by. She didn't know I was there. She was gossiping about me to a group of her classmates and said I was the affirmative action student. I went to my office trying to hold it together until I was alone. I was not going to be the girl who cried in the hallway. As soon as I crossed the threshold, I started sobbing because that was my greatest fear, that I wasn't good enough and that everyone knew it. Rationally, I know it was absurd, but hearing how she and maybe others saw me hurt real bad. There was no one I could really talk to about what I had heard because I was the only student of color in the program. There was no one else who would understand. Sure, I had friends, good friends, who would commiserate, but they wouldn't get it, and I would never be able to trust that they didn't feel the same way. I don't know about you, but I relate to this quote so much. Have you ever experienced what Roxanne talked about? I yeah, I I think in the well, I haven't heard. I don't know necessarily if I heard overheard people talking about me, but I know the the feeling of not feeling good enough and having to present to the world as if you are good enough. Yeah, <laughs> you know the what I'm imposter saying? syndrome. Exactly. Yeah. I, I had that heavy, <laughs> um, and so. With that, with that, relating to that, yeah, definitely, definitely understand that point. How about you? Yeah, I think I've never, no one has blatantly said, like, you're the affirmative action student or anything. But because for my higher education, I did go to predominantly white institutions, I always had that imposter syndrome. And I always had it in my mind, a question, like, am I here because I'm black or am I here because I'm qualified mm. and you would like to think it's because you're qualified but then you're also realize there's probably a diversity quota and am I the one filling that diversity quota yeah. and the college I went to was predominantly white and for every classroom I walked into because I was a writing major it was always white people like there was one other black kid in my class and I was so excited when he was there. I just remember like thinking, am I, am I the diversity quota here? Am I 
qualified to be in this room right now? Do I have the same skills that these other people have? And I can't even say that I feel like I do still. Like, there have been moments where I'm like, am I really that good enough to be here? And do other people think I'm good enough to be here? Which, I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what other people think. But it's a real feeling. Like, do other people think that I am the diversity quota? And then you get upset because it's like, I don't want them to think that. And I want them to understand that I have actual skills and talent. And hard work has been put into this. And so I belong here. But you also don't want them to think what you're thinking. Yeah. And so I think I can very much relate to that quote. Like I said, I've never had anyone say it near me. I don't, I'm sure it probably has been said. I don't know. Yeah. But I haven't had it said near me, but I have had a lot of experiences where I felt like I didn't belong in, not just from my own head, because I can be that person because I do tend to have anxiety. I'd be like, are people talking about me or are they looking at me weird? But I have had moments and instances where it's pretty clear I'm the one on the outs in that situation based on my race yeah and so i can definitely re- relate to what roxanne was talking about and i think most black people can relate to this i hope there's another black person here and if there isn't please god let there be a person of color <laughs> yeah yeah and so i that's just the topic i wanted to talk about because i think that can take a real toll on your mental health i know it did for me and i i think at a point in my life, I didn't think it would take a toll because I grew up in a high school, which was pretty. And you went to the same high school. It was pretty diverse. Yeah. And so when I went to college, I knew that that wasn't always going to be the case, especially in the real world. When you get into your career, it's not always going to be that diverse. But I thought it wouldn't affect my mental health that much until it really started to. Yeah. And I think for and so with you experiencing that in college, I experienced that in the workplace. When I start working in companies and having to deal with under other individuals who um even still I think I think maybe thought less of me because of my color, you know, in my race and not because of the qualifications in which I'm given the job. Um and it almost <laughs> and I'm not I'm not gonna say like it it almost hinders me from like showing up to places because i feel like it almost does you know what i'm saying because who wants to be that token black person in a room if you know you're the token you know what i'm saying and i've been told that and i when i've been told that at latter years of my life i was so stunned i didn't know what to say yeah because it's like because it's more overt you know what i'm saying like how like you really think i'm your token okay All, Mm -hmm. all right like but like in that, I understand. I almost have to take my mind to a place where I would not love. I would not have a love for music the way I do if I if India did not show up the way she did in music. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. As black and as spiritual as she as she is, and and I have to almost stay stay face because what if someone younger than me a younger yeah. black person is looking You're at me. You're an example. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, yeah. I, I, I am an example. I just have to be in that position. But at the same time, I'm always looking for an example. So when you're an example, looking for an example, it's like you really have to be as centered as possible to even deal with the type of people you deal with. Yeah. Um, 
on a day-to-day basis, a.k.a. co-switching. Yes. <laughs> that was, a that's of. a very, for people of color, that's a very, um, that's the ordinary way of living, like yeah. code switching. You you have it down to a T, code switching. And I remember thinking, like, some people, I think of other races may think it's weird, but it's, like, it's literally a survival tactic. Yeah. Because you know you can't be a certain version of yourself. Um, and for the people who just are still unclear about code switching, um, code switching by definition is uh occurs when one alternates between different languages uh dialect or ways of speaking amongst different people uh, and this is not um exclusive to black people but it yeah. is most popular in the black community because we have had to assimilate assimilate ourselves to different areas just to survive it's not even like to appease other people it's like i literally need to when i'm interacting or when you're interacting any person of color particularly black people who interact with especially people of authority i have to be yes ma'am yes sir all that stuff so that i can stay alive and so that carries through generations and it's it's not inherently taught necessarily and i think it's devastating in a certain sense because it's like why can't I, why is my, who I am not enough for other people? Like, why do I have to be palatable for other people? Yeah. And it's almost like, cause I, I just, this happened like literally a couple, maybe a week or so ago. Like I was in, I was in my, in our office space and mm-hmm. like, I was asking for different things from a person and I like said, yes, ma'am. And all the good, like try to be polite simply because that's just how I am in the office. Um, and then she was like, why are you calling me ma'am? <laughs> I'm like, because it's res- it's a respect thing. I just, right. it's just like a, like in terms, it just, I don't want to call you by your name because that's, I feel like that's almost rude. Yeah. And I don't want to also call you by your last name because I almost feel like you don't, that's just as uh, old, that probably, probably make you feel just as old as me calling you ma'am or like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But it made me, it made me like step back or second guess like my how how I'm talking to these people because they they I'm I'm young and so I figure I'm supposed to be talking in uh, uh, ebonics or something like right. what, what do you what do you want me pig Latin right. like what do you want me how, how do you want me how do you want me to talk like were, so, were you expecting something different like is this yeah. not and that's what I think it's like either way it's that's where it comes down to like is it really worth it the code switching or trying to be respectable or you know palatable to people is it really worth it because at the end of the day they're going to do what they want to do like you can still talk a certain way and they can still mistreat you yeah and be racist and so it's like what do you do that's like probably like the 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 hard part of code switching in terms of cultural differences because i think we are we are told to we we are told and kind of almost forced to understand a a white culture, mm-hmm. but we're we're not necessarily given the same white people are not given the same space to understand our culture, yeah. And because we are we 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 weren't given the proper things to even write these things down or you know what I'm saying given yeah. the space to cultivate wh- who it is we are as a as a whole, 
Um, but then there's a, there's a another side to code switching that we do with, amongst each other. Mm-hmm. I know for me, I grew up up north in Chicago, mostly outside of Chicago, so like in the suburb area. You know, we grew up together. Yeah. Um, but I would go to Chicago all the time, and but then I would go down south, and mm-hmm. down south code switching is so is really different from up north. And I found myself eventually, like over the years, just every time I would go to Mississippi to, to my family my accent would change and not because I want to, but because yeah. it's just like the environment, the people around, they just yeah. bring that out of me to do so. But when I'm back at home, it's not the same, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And so I think that it's, I think that's pretty cool because I think a lot of people, uh, and then they don't, I didn't, I don't feel a little left out, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Because I think I have a lot of that, like what's the um, FOMO fear. Of yeah. now. I have, <laughs> I used to have that a lot, especially cause I have, I'm the oldest of, I have two younger sisters, so they always had each other. I'm the first. I feel like You're the I'm the odd only, one out. Yeah, yeah. I'm always the odd one out. I feel like I was the only child for a good minute, for <laughs> at least five. I was five years old, only child, but yeah. you know, I've always been by myself. So just having to assimilate to different environments has kind of been, always been my norm, especially because yeah. my my parents work in environments where they have to code switch, and so th- them having to code switch, I've just learned from them too. Yeah, of how, and how to respect people and what not to respect about people, and you know just the how to come off because at the end of the day you're gonna be looked at however you're looked at, but if you can help, you know how you come off, you should do that. Yeah, I can relate to code switching within, um, within the black community because I remember in high school, like I was in honors classes and AP classes, and there would be like, there's never actually. I've never had a girl tell me this, but when I was younger, I had guys been like, oh, why do you talk white? I didn't understand, like, what they meant by this. Like, obviously I did. To them, they thought that meant I was educated. Yeah. And I'm like, but I don't, like, when I go to them, I'm not saying, why are you talking black? I understand what you're saying. Right. So I don't, to me, I was confused by that. I would also get, now, this is what I would get from a lot of black girls, which would be, why is your hair like they would be like oh are you mixed and i'd be like i'm three-fourths black so i'm mostly black (laughs) and they'd be like oh you have good hair and so i'd be like so good hair means straighter hair Mm. which at the time it was straight literally because i put in a relaxer so i don't (laughs) understand your your hair would be straight too if you had a relaxer in so i'm like it's not anything to do with whiteness or like you know and so i just remember thinking like particularly about the talking thing like talking white or being the black girl that read books like people would within our black community would think I was like better than them or like trying to be better than them or like I was trying to act white and in reality I wasn't I was just doing things that I enjoyed and because I read books it's like anything you do if you if you learn from it you're going to use it in your life so if I read something in a book I'm going to talk that way because I've been reading that way for a lot of my childhood. So for me, it was something I never understood, but I did know what it meant. Like deep down, I knew what it meant is that they didn't like that I was talking like the white people that they were around, which in my head was like, I'm just talking. It would also be like, yeah, I'm in school. So, I mean, maybe it's good for them. They didn't code switch, but I was like, I don't talk like this when I'm at home. Right. Like I'm like this is a professional setting. No, <laughs> but like I'm like I'm at school, and yeah. because I'm a black girl in an honors class, I have to talk this way. 
so that people take me seriously. It's not right. like I'm choosing to do this way. I know how to talk in, you know, AAVE. Like, I know how to do that. I'm just choosing not to hear. And right. to me, that was frustrating because it felt like they were saying, like, oh, you want, like, oh, I hate myself and I want to be white. I'm like, no, I just. You, or that you might be look, looking for validation right. that wasn't even on your mind in the first place. Yeah, exactly. I was just like, I know I'm around all these white people, and so I have to sound a certain way so my teacher takes me seriously. And so I can get ahead. I can keep moving forward. I can keep going to the next honors class. And so I think, to me, those instances were moments where I realized, like, oh, like, I'm black. You know, like, mm -hmm. I'm black to black people. Like, I'm a certain black to black people, and I'm a certain black to white people. And both of those blacks <laughs> versions... Yeah. Um, I can't relate to. Yeah. So I would be like, no. what the white person sees is not who I see myself as and what the black person sees is not what I see myself as. Yeah. And so I think that's like really a jarring experience to have is like, I'm literally like everyone else, but like to other people, I'm trying to act a certain way. So to white people, I'm trying to like be the better black person, mm. like the more palatable black person yeah. who's like relatable and like, oh my God, you're beyond race. Whereas with the black people, you're trying to suck up to white people yeah. or act better than us. And that's not the case. I, I just read a few books. Like, I don't understand. I like, what did I do wrong? <laughs> oh, my God. Words are attractive to me. I don't understand. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I can definitely relate to the fact that I'm not a, I'm not a, I feel, and, I, and like, so within our own culture and our own race and blackness, there's, there's our melanin is so mm -hmm. on a spectrum and so and that's you, what's so beautiful right it's like there's so we just, just got right. out here popping yes and so i for me i just never i never saw race as a issue it within my within my reality my mind mm -hmm. because it just wasn't prominent like i yeah. I, I grew up like my parents made sure i grew up in a, a public school in a, in a in the suburbs in a place where there were not just black people or there weren't just white people, but there yeah. were people of all color, all races. One of my first friends I can think of were was white, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And I think um, I didn't start getting questions of my, my color. And I think I got, I didn't start getting questions of my color until I was in school. And I think I think somebody asked me why my, why my hair was the way it was. Like I, I started growing my hair out and my hair texture is really weird as all black people's textures just yeah. all just all over the place but mine were a lot a lot more straighter and so i would get like are, are you mixed like what are you fully black <laughs> like right. of course i'm black my dad's black my mom's black right. like I, my mom's light-skinned so she might down the line it might be something <laughs> going on but uh, as far as i know my people are telling me i'm black so yeah. what's the issue here it's just my hair i don't understand I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Um... But other than that, uh, like, that's probably when I first realized, like, hey, mom, what's how how deep does our roots go? Like, do is there, Are, there's something you need to do? Is there me. like a slave <laughs> master, like something happening? I don't. What's going on here? Who's your daddy, mom? <laughs> right? No, for real. I really had to ask and like go to my my nana and like really hello, hello who who are you like to? How, right. how is everything going I on? need to see the family tree. I ASAP. really, to, I really, really needed to because right. it it did not make sense. I and I I wanted to make sure if somebody was going to ask me that again about my hair. I was going to have a, a clear, definite answer. Yeah. So you can get get out. The right, way, let, let it be. Yeah. Let it be. So yeah, yeah. I think another, um, because I was talking to my therapist about it because you know I wanted to bring it up in therapy because I was like, I've, this was when I was still attending college. I was realizing like, wow, it really is taking a toll on my mental health to be the only black person in the room, constantly, and to not be able to relate to those around me, and like feeling alone. And so I was telling her about my experiences in sports, particularly with volleyball. I played high school volleyball for most of my high school experience. And I remember thinking, like, wow, like, when I we would, like, run, like, do conditioning, and we would run, and I would be behind some white girl on my team, and her hair would just do, like, the little bouncy thing. <laughs> and, I, and I remember thinking like wow like that would be nice to have bouncy hair but my hair doesn't bounce it's dead <laughs> <laughs> this is not that's not funny but like I get what you're saying yeah. in, terms, in terms of the motion yeah, yeah and I would be like I would kind of like envy it because I would be like wow like it's kind of cute how it's bouncing but <laughs> my hair but my hair doesn't do my hair doesn't do that yeah and so i think that was another thing and then also just like the size of my body which we'll get into like our body 
dysmorphia I, issues. Yeah, we all have in another people. episode. I feel like we all have that, but yeah. But like, I just that. remember thinking those are like key experiences for me where I realized I was black, and that my body or any part of my body might not necessarily look the same way as other people that were around me, and to me that did take a toll on my mental health. And then like, I don't know what it is, but it's like literally seeing something that's just near the shade of me i just need something near the shade of me mm-hmm. like you could be latina just give me something some color <laughs> yeah when i walk in the are... room so that i feel like i'm not alone right and obviously i would prefer to have black people in the room with me i would pre- actually i would prefer everyone i would like everyone in the world to please be in the room with me because i i do prefer to see everyone's point of view on things yeah. especially in a classroom setting i think it's helpful to have different perspectives but when you're just the only black person in the room and then you talking about James Baldwin and mm. you're like, please don't look at me. Don't ask for my take on this. Like, <laughs> because I'm the only black person in the room that can give me a, can give someone a lot of anxiety. Yeah. And to me, it was very isolating. And this is where systemic systemic breakdown of, you know, what we have to accomplish and what we have to be responsible for kind of comes into play where we have to code switch to kind of make it to a point where if I'm given a space, if I'm granted the space to make a difference, I can effectively, you know what I'm saying? Because I have, I know what system was set up to break me, but yeah. I also know, I also have an idea of a system that I can set up that can make me and make the mm-hmm. people behind me easier. You know what I'm saying? Make it, yeah. make it easier for the people behind me to come up. Yeah. So, have you had any negative experiences about being, like, the only black person in the room? Yeah, I've had a couple that come to mind. So, like, I already shared that I was in volleyball in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd played volleyball for a long time, like, since middle school. And I'd always been one or two black girls on the team. Um, and so I was pretty used to it. Like, I was used to being one of the only black girls on the team. Um, Did I like it? No. (laughs) Was it awkward at times? Yeah. But like I got used to it. And I remember like one time I got this scholarship to participate in like a, a volleyball camp. And I remember having so much anxiety going there because I knew in the town, like it's just a bunch of white people there. Like I'm not going to see anyone that looked like me. I remember the first day of the camp, I had so much anxiety, I got sick. Like, I felt so sick, and I was like, I'm going to be the only black girl there. Like, I'm not going to know anyone. And to be fair, like, I have social anxiety to a certain extent, and so I'm pretty sure that was part of that manifesting. But it was also, like, I was just really anxious to, like, not make friends. And so I went to the camp and walked in, and I was right, a bunch of white girls, and this camp was really large because it was like the person who ran the camp was really rich. And so it was a, a huge like open space with a bunch of courts out. I looked from left to right, not a single black person <laughs> except for me. And so I go up to the person running the camp. I'm like, okay, I'm here. Like, what do you want me to do? We're supposed to get into like teams to practice. I'm like, why is no one trying to get in a team? Like, you know what the drill is. Like, he said get to a team. And I'm like, and so I, like, awkwardly go up to them, like, okay, like, I need to be in. 
<laughs> such a black girly i was like i need to be like in a team so like i'm here <laughs> and so and they were like okay yeah and <laughs> why did i say it white <laughs> you sounded exactly like i imagined it just how you said yeah. it yeah and so we're like running drills right and like when you're running drills for volleyball there's like sometimes downtime mm. while you're waiting for someone else to complete the drill so yeah. there's downtime i'm like sitting standing there awkwardly while they're having like full-on conversations with each other because they've like grown up together i guess or whatever and they're talking to each other meanwhile i'm a new person they know mm. i'm new and they're not even making an effort to get to know me or talk to me yeah. if the shoe was on the other foot if it was me in this position i'd be like oh hi what's your name like you know try yeah i would try, try. And they wouldn't try. And I just remember, like, feeling like people were staring at me the whole time, them judging me, wondering if I was good enough to be here. And I just remember it so much that every week after that, I physically got sick. I was like, I don't want to go. I hate it. But I had already made a commitment. And this was, like, a major opportunity. And I think this happens for a lot of black people where it's like when you're uncomfortable, you have to put up with it because... At the time, I was thinking this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's something I don't have to pay for. Someone said it's free. I'm learning something that could mm. advance me further in my life. I could become yeah. successful at this, and I could do something with this, and so I have to push through the discomfort and the blatant disregard for me as a person. Like, I never, no one ever, even the coaches, tried to include me in anything. Wow. They, I was just there to run the drill. And to complete a task, basically. And so I just remember thinking, like, I hate it here. And every week I would cry. <laughs> I would get anxious, like, physically sick. And then, like, I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if I manifested this, but I got a concussion and I never had to go again. Oh, so my I'm God. Just saying... <laughs> oh my God. And then I stopped playing volleyball because, like, I just realized it wasn't for me anymore. And I, you know, had injuries and stuff. But, like, that was basically from middle school to when I got injured. I had those experiences where I was, you know, a new team and there's only white people on the team. And you have to figure out how you fit in. Yeah. Like, I can't talk about certain things with them because they just won't get it. Like, they could try to be supportive, but you won't get it. Like, Roxanne Gay said, you're like, you're not going to get it, though. Yeah. And I think... I, and and I think for a lot of black people, we understand. I understand the yeah. validity of that being the case when I'm in those white spaces, and them feeling like just because you're kind and friendly and that you are able to um, come together on a different on a different level of understanding of each other, there's like a it's like I, I know you, so you yeah. should be comfortable. Like, but it's not that. Yeah, I. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't. I wish I understood the dynamic between a black woman and a white woman, because I feel like there's there's layers to that. Oh yeah, we can get this, into that if you want. Oh, I, help me understand. Help okay. me understand. Because so, the evilness of a white woman, I just don't see. Especially <laughs> no, because I I've had white women friends you know, uh -huh. that who I thought you know were really really cool yeah and I still think a lot of white women are really really cool yeah especially the ones I talk to the other ones <laughs> you I, said the ones I talk listen to. I know there's a there's Karen's I worked in a grocery mm -hmm. store before and there was a Karen that was really upset with me just because I told her to have a nice one okay not a nice day 
she wanted a nice day. But I said a nice one. Thinking, when you say one, everyone is like, have a good one, have a nice one. Everyone knows that means a day. Like, I got a customer behind you. A nice you. week, Move a nice on, day, lady. a nice month. I'm ready to go. I'm trying right. to get my four hour shift and get out of here. I'm making $7. I'm mad, okay? Let me go. Right. But she made, she made a, a point to like, I don't like how he just said nice one to me. And I thought that was very rude. And I looked at her. And I just went back to checking. Right. There wasn't no apology you getting from me. There wasn't no exactly. I understand where you're coming from because exactly. you're not working here. I'm bagging your groceries. Right. I, so I understand the Karens of the world. <laughs> but like the white people, I, white girl, white girls I know, white women I know, they're cool. Like, yeah. So and help I think, me understand that dynamic. I think some white women, some white girls are great. The people that were on my team, they were great. From what I knew of them, they were great. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to tell you I could sit there and relate to them in any sort of way. I couldn't. But they were cool. And okay. I felt like they saw me. Like, they weren't ignoring me like the other people at the, gotcha. that one camp. But I do know growing up as a black girl, I remember that my issue with white girls when I was younger was that I felt like they thought they were the epitome of beauty. Mm. And I felt like they when they looked at me, and this may be my own personal issues, but I felt like when they looked at me, they were judging me because I didn't look like them. Mm. And so sometimes I felt like that I wasn't included then because because of that. Um, I also think that that somehow translates to white women envying black women and thus copying them, whether that's hairstyles, aesthetically, however. Yeah. Um experiencing those dynamics when i was younger when i deal with white women now when i interact with them i'm not going to make a blatant statement but i do think white women are extremely sensitive and that it's a white fragility basically but that's something that is very frustrating when you do have to interact with white people specifically white women and you're in you're the one of the only black people in that space because then you have to be like okay i have to be aware of her feelings <laughs> i have to be aware of karen's feelings because i have to tiptoe around it because then she's gonna go to my boss or she's gonna go to so and so and complain about how i hurt her feelings or you're upset because of my tone when really i said it in the nicest way i had within me <laughs> okay and that's real exactly and to me that's where the dynamic between black women and white women come in i think some black women get frustrated with white women because you feel like everyone's protecting them everyone even black men they will protect them they will be like oh you know let's tiptoe around her feelings make sure karen or tracy is okay no one's checking to see if I'm okay because what she just did set me off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like what like that's what the, what's frustrating is that everyone wants to protect a white woman's feelings or a white girl's feelings when at the end of the day it's all trivial. Yeah. And she's a big girl, she can handle it. And that's another thing. White women tend to be infantilized, particularly by white men, where it becomes this thing where they're little girls that need to be taken care of. And I think it's a disservice to white women i also think it's a disservice to everyone else because they can handle their own yeah. they're adults they will be okay if their feelings are hurt just like i'm okay if my feelings are hurt no one's checking for me right like, especially because they are i think and that's a, and i think that's another conversation in terms of 
this whole mental health thing and understanding and the validity of our feelings mm-hmm. as individuals. You know what I'm saying? Like, Karen feels X, Y, and Z, and she knows she feels X, Y, and Z. She feels entitled to those X, Y, and Z feelings. So does, so do you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you know, but but the diff- I think the difference between, and I'm not kind of <laughs> run to Karen's rescue. Right. <laughs> but the, conversa- the conversation becomes like, are black women given the language not even a white language but given this language for emotions yeah that why can't we just be human like why is care why can karen say she's upset about something but if i say i'm upset about something then i have an attitude right or you know i'm the b word or i'm angry like if i am angry it's probably justified it's definitely it has it has to be justified because the karen's justified so why isn't why isn't yours you know what i'm saying so I, but I the thing is with Karen's point. when they're angry over something stupid, it's a whole uproar. When I'm angry about something that's valid, there's a silence. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that's what's frustrating is like everyone will be like, Well well, she has a point. Does she though? <laughs> Does she have a point? Right. Because it's stupid. It sounds like <laughs> it's, you're pressing. It's surface, it's stupid. Right. And what what my point is is deeper than that. Not saying that you can't be upset if because someone said have a good one instead of have a good day but just move on keep your mouth shut keep going if you're mad about it because i exactly because i keep my mouth shut about way worse yeah than that and that's what's frustrating and i think a lot of people especially people who work in office settings can relate to this where it's like well let me make sure this email doesn't sound too angry or make sure i smile at karen before she thinks i have an attitude with her when it's really like i don't smile at anyone you're not special exactly you're not special and that's what it comes down to karen you're not special yeah unless you're a black karen then you are special well (laughs) a black person named karen yes oh yeah yes (laughs) we validate you as a karen (laughs) but i definitely feel like that that's like for you for you for this to be a point of understanding your the importance of a person in in your life like every like you as a white person may not be important to that black person, but you are important to your family. So validate that in your own experience, but don't try to find that in other spaces, yeah. especially if it's supposed to be for community. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You are not the forefront. You are not the... And that's what I feel like the white fragility thing is. It's like, how? why are you taking everything so personally? Yeah. I think that's the thing about it is like, I don't, I can't personally relate to finding everything offensive to me. Like, if someone doesn't smile at me, I don't care. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's my fault. I don't think that they're being mean. I might not even think they're being racist. You're just not smiling because you don't want to smile. Right. Something going on with you. Right, exactly. And I think white women sometimes can think that they're the center of attention or they're the center of everything. So if you're not reciprocating a certain energy then that means it's something against her that or that person when it's not it's just like i don't want to smile at you or i don't want to wave at you like and that's not a big deal it almost wants me like it almost makes me think almost always makes me think of what are the conversations that what what are the conversations that are getting fed to to those white women who feel like 
they're, they're supposed to be special in every yeah. space that they're in. Not that you shouldn't feel special as a person, but, like, when I think about me being in a room full of black people, I know I'm a special black person outside this room, and I know I'm special inside this room, too, but I'm also not looking to be seen and heard by all and to be validated by every black person in this room because we're more 10 times more nine times out of 10 we're all looking for the same type of validation and i think when you when you grow up hearing uh negative connotations behind validation it almost makes you feel like well i guess i'll give you the space almost almost to like almost to hope that you are given the same respect eventually down the line you know what i'm saying yeah um and that may not be the case for a lot of people for a lot of people at all ever they are always searching for validation is that not right because like i'm sorry i have like a real like moment here where i'm like aren't they always searching for validation if you know they tend to be like okay well big butts are in so let me get a bigger butt or you know an hourglass figures in or oh my god i saw kim kardashian wear braids so now i want to wear braids when it's like we've been doing this right this is part of our and goal. now no. you're trying to take from us so you can get attention and validation that we got but negatively we got that attention negatively but now you want to flip it so to, to me it, i think you're right it's just about like you want validation yeah. but it's like but your whole existence has been validated so i'm so confused because how can you want validation when you've already had it, it's at this point it seems greedy. Oh, people have always cared about you, and what's happening with you and your feelings and your emotions and your existence. What more do you need? Mm. Mm. I just don't. I don't, understand. I don't think there's no end. I don't think there's any end. And so, like, for for that Karen to kind of <laughs> wish that I use different terminology, it made me. It made me like I. It made me really upset because for a long time before I got a job I was still having to assimilate you know to a, to to different environments to be more palatable but I, I didn't see it as that I just saw it as just being able to communicate better to a wider audience of people yeah but people don't think like that people just think like you said you're talking white so you're trying to be it's not a white thing it's a it's a it's a how can I better communicate what I need, yeah. and how I want to come off to the world, especially as a creative. Mm-hmm. There's certain things that I know I am not well versed in um, that other communities, other cultures, other you know other parts of the world are very very well well equipped with. Mm-hmm. And so if if there's a way for me to cross over to get what I need to be a better creative. Why wouldn't I do that? Yeah. Without having to take on the brunt of my brothers and sisters behind me telling me that you're doing too much or that you're you you acting too white. Well, I guess I'll act white to get to where I need to be. But when I come back and make it black for us, <laughs> don't right keep the same energy. So I know how to <laughs> align with you moving forward. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So as someone, I majored in writing, and so in college, there's what we call, like, writing workshops, and so, you know, you would 
write a piece for whatever the assignment was and then you talk about it with the class and I remember having anxiety and like trepidation about the topic I was going to write for one of the assignments and then realizing other people would have to read it and I mean there's layers to that one was am I good enough like are people going to judge me off of what I've written and within that layer was the fact that I was black and most of the people in my class were white and so I was like I don't want what I write to like what if they're like oh it's bad and then they're like oh that makes sense because she's black Mm. but then there was also the thing where it was like I want to write on this topic and it happens to be a black issue but I don't want them to expect that every time yeah and I think sometimes especially as a creative person and particularly as a writer or like any type of artist thing like even if you're a painter or something the subject of your work when you're black is expected to be black and it's like yes it's a core part of me and I'm not going to shy away from writing you know black characters or anything like that but sometimes I might want to talk about climate change like sometimes I just want to write something that isn't about my identity because that's not all there is to me yeah but I feel like I used to feel like people were expecting that and I think that affected me as a writer and it gave me anxiety about writing because I'm like does everything I write have to be profound or like talk about race or gender or anything like that and I mean I've obviously grown as a writer and I don't think that that's always necessary now is most of what I write happen to be about race gender and stuff like that yes but that's just because I'm that type of writer but I don't feel the pressure I feel like I can stray away from that at any time but in college I never felt that way because I was like I mean I still did it I was like forget these people I'm gonna still write what I want to write about but I also always before I went to write felt like okay are people gonna get this because there's a disconnect between what they see in front of them which is a black woman and what they're reading on the page Mm -hmm. and so I think that's another instance where you sometimes feel like the imposter syndrome like am I good enough to am I valid outside of my race or am I valid outside of my gender or both like can I write something or create something that isn't solely based in who I am yeah. physically or whatever yeah and I think you know I particularly had one assignment where we had to give a speech in class and I decided to write on personal relationships it had nothing to do with race or gender really and I was proud of myself for it because I was like oh like you did something that was scary for you like And also partly, like, I did it because (laughs) I wanted to avoid the topic (laughs) in the class because it's kind of, um, if I chose to write about something that was very sensitive, particularly for me, I did not want to have to convey that in front of people. Like, I didn't want people to have to watch me talk about something that is hard. Yeah. And so I wrote something about personal relationships and I you know gave the speech I was proud of myself for it and then (laughs) this girl came up after me and she had to do her speech and her speech happened to be about her dad who's a police officer 
And in her speech, she talked about how she was scared for her father as a police officer. And, and, you know, the speech is going like, oh, it's going great. Like, yeah, you have a police officer, whatever. Like, it is what it is. And you're scared from, I can, I'm a human person. I can right. relate to being scared. He, that person, your father does have a job that is, I'm assuming, scary. I'm sure it is if you're faced with, like, violence on a regular basis. Right. But then she had to bring Black Lives Matter into it. And so I just remember sitting there. I was so angry because it's fine if you want to talk about it. Like, I'm not going to be mad at you talking about that. That's your own. Right. Experience. Yes. I'm, I'm I'm relatively an objective person. Like, if you want to talk about that, that's fine. But for me, I began feeling frustrated when I felt like, while you have privilege, like you stood up there and you said what you felt. Hmm. And you felt good about it. Hmm. And you did not fear walking out of this classroom and something happening to you. Hmm. And so I remember sitting there thinking, like, you know, I could have chosen to talk about race. And if I did want to talk about Black Lives Matter, I would literally be scared to walk out of this, to one, be in this room because there's only white people in it. Two, I would be scared to walk out of this campus where there's more white people. Hmm. And particularly at the school I went to, there were incidents of racism. People had dorm rooms with the N-word on it. There are incidents of racism there. And so I was like, you know, what a privilege that you can sit there and bash Black Lives Matter because your dad's a police officer and you're scared that Black Lives Matter is going to target your dad. And people were like, oh, she was brave to talk about. And to be fair, on the feedback response, I said, you are brave to talk about this, knowing that I'm in the class. (laughs) (laughs) You're real brave. Yes, because knowing that there's a black person in your class and you're bashing Black Lives Matter. That's real. You're lucky that you felt safe enough to talk about that. And and I guarantee you, if it was a room full of black people, she's not coming up here talking about Black Lives Matter. But because I was the only black person in there, and probably because she thought... I talked good for a black person or whatever. And mind you, hold on, I'm getting set off. Okay. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> no, because it's, it's, you're valid. It's valid. Because she was the same girl who... Uh-oh. Who... And you know she ain't had, never had no black friends. If she did, it was surface level. Because one day, oh. I came in with braids. The next day, I came in in my natural hair. Now, my natural hair is obviously shorter than the braids that I had in. She comes in and says, oh, you cut your hair. And I and I had I didn't even respond. I just looked her in the face and I looked away. And here's the thing. In my mind, I'm like, how that work? Do the math in your head. Because a month before we've been in the same class, I had natural hair. So you thought I grew hair <laughs> that was <laughs> inches long. Overnight. And then I subsequently cut that hair. (laughs) It just sets me off because that day I was sitting there and I tried to focus on the speech. I said, maybe she has something good to say. And she does from her perspective. Let's be fair. From her perspective, I'm sure it's terrifying for her. Okay. But here's the thing. From my perspective, you have a certain level of privilege where you can talk about your experience and not be scared that you, there won't be retaliation. Ooh, I, or that the, your professor isn't also married to a cop and now they didn't like that you said something and they can't be partial. They can't be objective. Mm. Like, 
the stereotype of me talking about Black Lives Matter. Like, I, I don't care. I can talk about that because I'm passionate about it, right? But then I'm one-sided. All I talk about is race. Mm. I, it's nothing that's ever going to work for me. At the end of the day, you can't win. And that's what's frustrating for me because to her, she she wrote something that was powerful, that was moving, that was inspirational. <laughs> Encouraging. Yes, encouraging. <laughs> she wrote something that she was proud of, and I wrote something I was proud of. But to her, she felt safe to do it. And that's the thing. The key word is safe. She felt safe to do it. And I have never felt safe to do it. Now, I have written things that are centered around black lives. And I felt safe because I was sick of it. It gets to a point where you're like, I don't care. If you write N-word on something, it is what it is. Because I'm not gonna. you're not going to keep making me silent this i think there's a level and as you were speaking i was like reminiscing of like let me know if it's wrong to equivalent to to equivalent equate equate thank you (laughs) (laughs) to equate the blissful ignorance of a child to the blissful ignorance of a white woman in spaces (laughs) that aren't necessarily that you shouldn't be ignorant in, you know what I'm saying? Especially because you had to check your pri- you had to check everything you're privileged to be and do at the door before you walked out the house, not before you got into a classroom because you had to say a speech that you might not be able to 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 really get the full that the room might not fully get, you know what I'm saying? And so if that if that makes sense, um, that made yeah. me think of that. Yeah, it makes sense it can really affect someone when you are the only black person in the room and something like that happens. Cause you're like, well, in that moment, I was also like, I really hope no one stares at me because they might be like, Oh wait, you really saying that when Nisa's right here in the corner, like she black though, like, <laughs> like, and I would, didn't want that to happen. Um, I also didn't, maybe it's my own. It probably is my own issues. I didn't want people to think, you know, when I was giving the feedback form that I wasn't being objective because I am black, I there's so many things about it that I had anxiety about that stressed me out, that made me sad. You felt so comfortable making those claims in your paper, in your story, whatever. And you didn't think twice about how it might affect someone else. Like when I'm doing something, I'm thinking, okay, this might affect someone else. You know, I wouldn't go out my way to hurt someone, but I wouldn't also completely forsake my own views or my own storytelling or whatever just to make someone else comfortable we are made to feel like we're supposed to be we're we have to know who's in the room Mm -hmm. we have to know who's in the room you know what i'm saying and i don't think white people are given the same liberty in terms of getting the talk pep talk especially growing up like all right you're going this place like make sure you do this have manners manners so one of my one of my quick stories, mm-hmm. um, I lived in I live in um, Indiana and I've been living out here for maybe five almost five years. Do not Indiana's a rough place. Okay, no hate to Indiana, I but I've heard it's one of the more racist states. And I did not know. I did not know, and I and I'm not gonna. Anyways, I made a friend a white woman friend mm-hmm. she's not a karen she her name she's okay really, she's really chill okay um she's from hawaii shout uh-huh. out to her well i feel like people from hawaii are just like 
always chill. She like they're always so, she's so cool. Like cool, yeah. Um, so we met over the years, and she had a roommate, a white man, okay. who for from the from the face value was cool. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? I, I had no issues. Um, one day go over there for you know some festivities drinking i'm young we mm-hmm. we live we live life okay over yeah. here and so we was drinking having fun he goes to tell a story not of his own but he tells the story okay He's, he feels validated in that and so when you was telling you i was like this, this is crazy <laughs> um he tells the story about an interaction he had with one of his one of his co- co-workers who happened to be black mm-hmm. i'm not i wasn't uncomfortable it was just us three so one okay. white girl, one white man. It's just me, uh-huh. black a black man. So I'm just, I wasn't comfortable <laughs> so in the environment. I, like it, it was it it was what it was. But he continued to tell the story, and I didn't think the story would go where it went. But it end he ended up telling the story to where he wanted to emulate what it is he heard from a, from that black man. So he's retelling. He's the story? retelling okay. the story. Okay. So then he says, he said I I don't even remember what the story was because at after you blacked he, out, huh? I, I, just, I think I really did, but I couldn't go off like I really wanted to because mm-hmm. I had to see him at work the next day. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I just, I just knew I needed a job, and I wasn't gonna let you stand between my money. And I just wasn't gonna That's let that happen. Real. And so he tells a story, and he goes into yeah, and he was like some some some, and and blurts out the n word. Okay. Wait. I don't hard know if it was. E-R? A, I was trying to. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I don't know if it was the hard R or right. not. Regardless of the fact, you're a white man mm-hmm. who has no melanin right. trace in your body. Exactly. Why is that coming out of your mouth in this day and age? Yeah. Twenty. That happened. Twenty twenty eighteen. Less nineteen. Something like that. It happened two years ago. But it was like, I sat there. My friend, the girl. She was like, um. Are you serious? Did you really just say the N word in mm-hmm. front of? It's not in front of. Did I you, need you to not say it in quiet. Then ever in, in by general. yourself. So that's what she said. So she uh-huh. was like, "Why do you even? Why did they come out your mouth?" And I was sitting there silent. He was like, "He's cool." Like I was like, "No." Wait, who's cool? Me. He oh. thought I was cool with it, which is why he thought, which is why he felt safe enough to say it. And I, what? I had to question my. I questioned myself the whole ride home because I immediately left after right. because I was going to I was going exactly. to mm-hmm. do some crazy things um and I I left and she she kept apologizing to me for him because he he still was like kind of like I don't understand why it's a big issue we're just cool we're talking no right. no 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 right so <laughs> I, le- I left he he like quickly apologized like oh I didn't mean it like I didn't mean it like that I don't no, care that's how not the you apology meant it. That should have I don't care how you meant it. That's not how what you would should have said. And I left. I left stunned, completely yeah. like undone because I I felt like I allowed <laughs> I felt like I allowed him to believe he was a more he was more of a friend to me than I was to him. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. I I don't see him pass a coworker. I can have drinks with my coworkers and not consider them friends. I don't know if that's a attachment issue or not. Right. But that's I I'm easy, I can do that easily. Yeah. And we've been around each other a, a, 
multitude of times you live with one of my closest friends that i met here so you know of course i'm gonna be cool with you because i trust her instincts or her judgment but it never sat right with me ever you know what i'm saying and he always moved funny around me past that point even now like he'll mess with me once in a while like trying to be cordial on some like hope you're doing well type of thing but (laughs) i was like are you Right, I I'm really not don't to trust anything I feel you like ever you're say to keep now. tabs on me because you know. Right. But yeah, it was one of those one of those situations where I didn't I, I never first of all, I never got called the N-word by another by a non N-word. <laughs> yeah. In front right, of my life. Yeah. In, in front of my face uh-huh. in casual conversation. I he didn't call me directly, which I can't I mean, whatever, but at the same time, you felt comfortable enough to say it. Yeah. And it just really shook me to my core to be like okay i need to there's a level of privilege you are ignorant to like there's no way you there's no way you can know our history know the history Mm -hmm. there's no our history the history of our country and it's a matter of critical thinking like in this moment before you say what you're gonna say maybe you think hey i'm with someone who this could offend and let me be on the safe side and not say it. Regardless of the, the right. how I feel, how close we are. Right. You, I think he really thought we were best friends. <laughs> because there's absolutely no way. But do way. you think black people have a power of making specifically non, or specifically white people feel like we're closer than we are? I feel like that's such a black thing. It to is. Because I, I feel like a lot of white people feel like, oh, you know, that we're best friends or like, they feel a certain sense of comfortability, but I think it's because of black people. We just make people, we try to make people feel comfortable sometimes. And so I think this is obviously a generalization. I don't, not everyone does this, but I think sometimes we set the mood and the mood is inviting. Mm -hmm. And I think some people think it's okay. I'm not saying that's okay that they do it, that that's a, an excuse for why they do it. But I think we just have like some magical dust that we sprinkle in social situations where people feel like they can do something like that. Not saying it's okay, it should never be okay, but I think, because when I hear other people's stories, it's always the same thing, and I'm like, what, No, I think, what is it? I think, I think we, as black people, we just know we are not going to be comfortable in certain spaces. Yeah. And so, f- for me, I just come to the conclusion that if I'm not going to be comfortable in certain spaces, I have to create comfortability for myself. Yeah. Um, and so if I'm in a space where I may not feel comfortable, whether I'm familiar of the space or not, I'm just going to make it feel comfortable for me because I have to occupy that space. Yeah. And I think they inherently just feel like because they're making it comfortable for me or because they're making it com- a comfortable environment, they're doing it for me. Yeah. Well, that's not the case. I'm not scared of you. I don't fear you modern day time. Yeah. But there's... Th- modern day time also tells me you still don't see me as equal Mm -hmm. so i have to make sure that when i have these uncomfortable uncomfortable conversations or when i'm having uncomfortable um interactions that i'm able to still articulate what it is i need to say and be respectful of the type of person i know i am because if i do anything outside of that you won't see me as me. You'll see me as a monster. You'll see me as a, a 
the angry black man or angry black yeah. woman. You know what I'm saying? You'll see me as that. And that, although I have that emotion, right. <laughs> it's, it's not, not my the totality of who I am. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so we have to we have to work extra hard on having to create that calmness in that environment. And I think that yeah. they take on that, oh, you're doing that for me. I.e. they're ignorant, privileged, like mm-hmm. allowing them to be like, right, that's for me. So it's yeah. like I'm going to take they on. They think everything is for them. Take, 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 take. So, right. yeah, I just think that's like our, I, I don't know, it's like a pattern we kind of yeah. <laughs> kind of got accustomed to. But I'm willing to break from it because... I'm tired. Yes, <laughs> that's real. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Help I'm Sad. If you want to interact with us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at Help I'm Sad Pod and on Twitter at Help I'm Sad underscore pod. Also on Facebook at Help I'm Sad. See you next month for a new episode. Speaking love, light, and peace. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.